What's up, Rad Dads? Welcome back to another episode of the Rad Dads Podcast. Tonight, we have a uh, special guest in the house. He is uh, Richard Latito. He is a financial slash advisor. Um, here with my Rob Schilt. And Rich, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, Richard Latito. Funny, Westwood, New Jersey. <laughs> so, um, Rich. May I call you Rich? Yes, sir. Please. What makes you a uh, uh, What makes you qualified to be a uh, financer or slash planner? You know, I think any good financial advisor, you have to have implicit trust in that person, the person that you're going to share your your financial life. Hold them to understanding where you are in your financial life, and trust them enough to help you get down the financial road of your own life. Just, you just uh, identified my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so the wife is usually the CEO and, and well, the wife is super uh, important in yes. the financial life. So my wife is my accountant, as I call her every yeah. time we go shopping. It's actually a, a joke. I got I to gotta, uh, consult with my, uh, my accountant. <laughs> so the guy looks at me funny. I said, yeah, that's my wife right here. What's <laughs> your investing philosophy? It's always good to have a good investing philosophy, but what's even better is to have a planning sheet of one that has a plan setting money aside each month, see investing where you feel the most comfortable with, but really controlling your budget. That's, that's big. Controlling your budget. Controlling Control the spend. Budget, yeah. How do you stop the, uh, the bleeding? Well, well, first you have to understand where the bleeding is going on a monthly basis, and then you could start identifying things that you could jettison. Stop doing that. Stop spending on those things. See, during the whole uh, lockdown, um, my wife and I were able to identify where we were bleeding. So we were able to save a lot of money during the whole lockdown because we weren't out spending. I mean, we we were able to save a ton of money. You weren't supporting the local businesses. No, they were shut down. They've Our, been open for takeout. As of recent, yeah, but I go, I do takeout. Lord, our Lord Governor, you know. We're I mean, still... you're the one who introduced me to that expensive Chinese restaurant. <laughs> place is good, isn't <laughs> it? it is good. We're, we're in day, what, 14 of the lockdown? Uh, right. lo <laughs> day, so, no, wait, day 256 of the 15-day lockdown. Yes. So from your investing strategy or philosophy, you said, you know, setting aside money. And this is something that I've said on multiple podcasts is most people don't understand what that means. They don't understand that you get a, a net income and you can't spend more than that. So what do you typically tell your clients about that? Like, how do you educate them so they can understand your clients kind of educating them on that? A lot of people do realize that they need to save for the short term as well as the long term, whether that be retirement or children's education. But they usually do that through a 401k, through their employer-sponsored retirement program. But you as a, your own individual you have to put money aside for not just retirement. If the roof goes, you need a new hot water heater, whatever it may be, you need to be in a situation to have monies that you're not putting on the credit card. And the only way to do that is to say that I'm going to take retirement savings and set that aside as an emergency fund for me and my family. And you, you gotta force the issue. And what is your typical, what's that percentage or allotment or is it changed person by person? Depending on how much money that you make, but a good starting point would be 10%. Okay. And that's, that's good to know. So and just for our listeners out there, 10% of what you bring home. So if you bring home a thousand, that's a hundred dollars. Did I do that math right? Yeah. All right. Just, I got to ask the finance guy, make sure I'm doing that. Okay. I, I want to stress that because 
one of my pet peeves and one of the things, and I, and I say this on the episode that's about to drop this weekend, is that one of the reasons I'm doing this and one of the reasons I've been providing information to dads and educating people is because I've come across so many people who just don't get the basics of yeah. finance. And for me, that's, that's mind-boggling, but then I've been around it most of my life, and I think it's important that the people understand that, listen, you need to set something aside besides your 401k. You need to have something there. So this, this weekend, a random wind, and I really think it was a blue tore, and probably a, a tree branch that fell, tore the wires right out of my house. So we had no electricity since Sunday night. Tore service out. The box. So, so we're the only house on the whole block who had no fire. Fire trucks are there. The the my kids think it's great. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, it's a show. But we're not going to be back here for a couple of days. So my brother, I think, called some people, came out and fixed it from PAC and G. Oh, he's got a hook. He's got a hook. So I got now, a guy. Yeah, he's got a guy. <laughs> so and then the our electricity is coming out tomorrow to make sure that everything's up to code, which is probably a couple bucks. Ooh, well, so, hey, you know. But that it's the luxuries of of owning a house. <laughs> yeah. So Rich, you had mentioned a four hundred one k plan. Here we're skipping a few, but the difference between a four hundred one k and a Roth IRA. A four hundred one k would be tax deferred immediately. You make. You put 10% into it, five grand a year. The government's going to view you as if you made 45, comes right off of the top. A Roth on the other side, you make the 50 grand, you put the five in it as if you made that 50 grand. It just depends on the difference. Main difference is how you're going to pay taxes when you go to take those monies out of the plan. 401k says current income, Roth IRA is going to be completely tax-free. So when you say tax deferred, what, what, layman's terms, we pay the taxes another day. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Sometime in the future. You know, none of that fancy terminology around here. <laughs> so, what is there one you would recommend over? They're both really good. They both have their merits. Everybody wants to save paying, and that's the way to do that through the 401k. But then you look at it, and as you get older, and you realize, okay, that I have saved up, I'm going to have to pay at one time or another in the future to the federal government. And that may be at uncertain tax rates, 20, 30 years from that problem by eliminating that tax at the end of the accumulation rainbow. But just to play the devil's advocate on that, your top earning is between say 28 to 49 potential earning 65 or God bless we can retire earlier than that or later, whatever it is you're going to be making a lot less because really the only income you're going to have is this 401k plus social security if it exists. If I'm trying to stay away from politics, so I'm, it's really hard. <laughs> so politic free podcast. Yeah. For the two of us, that's, that's a great idea. My question is, does that still hold bracket? It still may net at the end of the day. You're still probably paying less to the federal government. Most likely though we can't foresee the future, how much, I really shouldn't say this is like a jinx, but like, what could it possibly go differential to today? So if you have a million dollars of 401k yep. and you go to take out a 4% distribution from it, which is $40,000 a year, hopefully 
Social Security that may or may not be there. <laughs> in the future. Yeah, but yeah. come on, you're not. You're how many years? And you're in, in, in five years. Your Social Security going to be exactly. You know. So we we plan for what we know today, and we know that Social Security is here today and expected to be there in the future. So if we take that and we say that you're you plus spouse about thirty to forty, maybe even forty five thousand, fifty thousand dollars from Social Security plus IRA distribution, now you're making ninety grand, and. At that point, you're right. You're not maybe making exactly what you were from an income standpoint of view, but that's not necessarily always the case. And then comes 70 and a half. It was the RMD date, but now it's 72. But when it comes to that date and the IRS comes to you and says that you have to start taking distribution, you could potentially be earning more money at that point than what you were before you retired. And just one thing I just want to ask, RMD date? Required minimum distribution at the age of 72. Dude, I told you, this fancy terminology, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't fly around here. I just want to make sure not everyone knows, knows that acronym. So at the age of 72, the IRS is going to come to you and say that you have to, have to, no choice of yours, to start taking withdrawals from your IRA, your 401k, your retirement plan. There is that no forced take. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. Doesn't I learned something. So you're forced with a 401k to draw. Correct. With IRA, you're not. The Roth. Well, the Roth has to have that Roth in it. Yeah. What's the difference between a Roth and a regular IRA? Just the way that it's tax heard. Oh, okay. You pay the taxes later on. Okay. And how you pay the taxes when you go to take No taxes when you take out the money from a Roth. You pay the taxes when you take out the money from an IRA. Okay. okay. So, and from an IRA... That's typically what you're rolling in, you're rolling over your 401k to Co- when you change jobs, right? Correct. Okay. Consolidating in retirement account. I want to circle back to our interview questions back up to the top because Sal decided to jump 10 questions. So there's m- multiple instruments you can use for savings. One of them being a 529. Your thoughts on 529, is it good, is it bad? 529s are, are unique to uh, education expenses, making sure that you save and defer monies, set aside monies for the future of your children's education, whether it be high school, college, postgraduate work, whatever it may be. You're setting those monies aside and growing it as long as those monies are used for college while the money is growing or upon distribution. There are good and bads about any financial product, and that's where uh, a competent sit, analyze the situation, and make a an appropriate recommendation. And, and I'll talk about my situation. I don't know other people's situation. I actually have two 529s, one for each child. One is through a big, is there a preference from your perspective on big bank versus like, uh, when I say big bank, I mean like Merrill Lynch or JP Morgan or whoever versus one of the state run funds. A choice of investment flexibility. I want to be able to invest as broadly and as flexibly as I can desire to do such. And those have the state run uh, situations have some uh, non-flexibility to them, limitations limitations to them. That's funny. So it's funny you say that, and I'm not going to name the firm that I deal with, but I've found that the state run fund that I use is actually more flexible of how quickly I could change my distribution than the big institution. The big institution wants me to sign paperwork, and send it in, mail in checks. Like when you have digital age, I want to be able to do it on my computer like that. And with like the state run, at least the state run that I, I use, which is New York, with the possibility because when you're in North Jersey, New York and North Jersey are so close that if 
it did come through to fruition that we moved to New York, there's a bonus ah. to use the SUNY schools. New Jersey has no bonus. Like, there's no bonus to contributing. You get an extra, like, thousand on a college expense. Like, state, nothing. State college. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. So I'm like, all right, I'll spin up a 529 and I'll get the extra thousand bucks. Great. But m- my thought was is that for that New York website that they use, it's it's great. It, it's it's incredible, and it's but it allows me to change it. it allows me to create a gift, um, a gift, not a gift, but a gift, G I F T, password, so my the grandparents can actually contribute. Whereas I felt like, and maybe it's the is just more rigid in their in their processes. Have you seen that? Yeah, I mean, it really does come down to the investment institution that you're working with and what level of technology they decide to implement in their own firm for their clients. But at the end of the day, whatever makes the most sense from a client's perspective and what is action to take, as long as we're doing something, monies are being set aside, monies are being saved, monies are being deferred. That's the ultimate goal. And go ahead. Something you brought up, you went with a New York 529 plan so people aren't restricted to the state that they live in correct they are not okay i hope not conversely there are some states that to invest in a non-out-of-state program while they have an in-state program that allows for in-state tax deductions new york is a good example of that in new york you have to be beholden to their state plan or their plan that in new york uh, state to get their income tax deduction other states don't all uh, do that. Because I, I don't know if you remember when I when I uh, presented the uh, we went down this path with 529 and I was looking into it when my kids were born and I, I presented I think it was the Utah. It was the investment selections. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think Utah. So if I remember correctly, because when I did it was nine years ago at this point. So I think it was Utah, Maryland. Somewhere in the somewhere else in the Midwest and like New York were like the top four or five. The way I determined which one to use because I didn't have a financial advisor at the time was to go to Money Magazine, go through what they recommended, read up and see what it is. So 529s are created equally. Each state has different investments that they're doing on underlying, and you could talk about it more than than I can because I, I I'm very like um, I'm an amateur at this stuff. You this is what you do for your business, but. Essentially, like you have to be very careful which state you choose, be make sure that it aligns with what you want it to do, right? What What are key components if someone was looking searching for a five twenty nine? What are key components for someone to look look for? Well, you need to understand your state's deductions. If you, there is a a deduction for making that contribution, uh, the opportunity for definitely low low investment expenses. So low investment expenses. That's that's, that's key. that that would key. be a, a paramount okay. part of the decision. Absolutely. So just to summarize, you don't, you are not restricted to the state you live in for a 529. And one of the key components for looking for a 529 plan is a low investment expense. Yeah. Investment expense. And take a look at what they're investing in. So right. what mutual funds or whatever they're actually investing in. You can also look up their performance. Yeah. Ten year. And you can also check, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can actually check the fund managers. Can you? Well, every plan has their own fund manager, so yeah. absolutely, their history, their performance, yeah. and what they invest in. And if you can't do that, then get yourself a financial advisor. 
right? That, that's where an expert would come in <laughs> yeah. and assist you. Yeah, and I, I got a guy. His name is Rich Latito. So if you guys need a financial advisor, I got a guy. <laughs> Thank you, Sal. I appreciate that. So what do you typically ask your clients to advise them appropriately? Is there a questionnaire you use or how do you kind of do this? We, we do. We have a, a questionnaire to, to better understand our clients and better understand their investment experience. What has been their experience and history are bad, um, but we want to dig up those those feelings, uh, those that history behind it, and make sure that we're giving a plan based upon not only where we are but where we obviously want to go. How many how many clients think they're going to be rich overnight? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a good amount. I'm shooting for that. <laughs> Every client that I have that I would consider to be a, a high net and deferred, saved and deferred, saved and deferred over a long period of time. There are those clients that have, you know, hit it rich in their business or other avenues of life, but those aren't as who just put their head down and saved and deferred and invested in the market. See, that's why I'm cheap. Yes, you are. <laughs> I think we've said it on every <laughs> recently. <laughs> I, dude, he's got quite the spreadsheet. I've asked him to share his spreadsheet with, him with how he how he does his numbers. He's, he won't even give it up. Oh no, I he, think it's. He I, wants to charge me. <laughs> that's not true. First of all, but I think that's one of the things that I, I want to put. One of the things we can sell. One of the services we can sell because it's very simple. It's not. I'm not offering financial advice. People put together a budget, and one of the things I really think is important is is the net income versus spend and it's a very simple macro putting it in there and then seeing what your fixed expenses are versus your variable expenses and kind of weighing it out honestly it's like a pet peeve he's busting my balls because i would share it with him but it's essentially something that if you read money magazine or fortune magazine you would have seen it in there it's something that has been in there plenty of times so maybe it's the service we offer in the future. Well, you never know. It might include Rich Latito too. There you go. We're <laughs> roping everyone into this this gig. How do, oh, good. <laughs> how do you coach your clients from spending more than they earn? It's having them understand that that is an unsustainable life track. I mean, you, you can't continue to live off of credit or continue to go down a road where you're spending more than what you make. And then, you know, something's going to come up, tree's going to fall, hot water is going to, uh, hot water heater is going to explode or something's going to happen. And then you're not going to know where to turn because the credit cards are maxed out. You don't have any savings. And then inevitably, so many people turn to taking the loan or distribution from the 401k plan. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, what you always want to be in a position to save as much as we can for retirement but life happens emergencies happen you want to prepare for those emergencies by having a emergency fund a short-term intermediate fund available for those things but if that comes up uh in that an emergency it's understandable that a dad a mom would make that uh, tough decision and just pull the money in and go for it and get it taken care of but if we're doing it for frivolous things or things that aren't not considered non-emergencies mm. vacations or uh fancy shoes fancy shoes. otherwise that Sal has a lot of fancy shoes that makes absolutely no <laughs> funny Sal. but hold on <laughs> hold on so when people borrow against their 401k I i'm not saying you should 
uh, in emergency, you know, it all depends on the situation. When people borrow against their 401k, they are required, obviously, to pay it back. In a five-year period of time. A higher percentage or? Regardless of the interest rate, the interest rate comes back to you. Okay. So it doesn't. It could be a one percent. It could be a ten percent interest rate. The interest rate goes into your. Account. So in essence, you're paying yourself back with, with some interest. Correct. Which is borrow against your four hundred one k. If it's an emergency, maybe that's our dad lesson for tonight. I don't know. We missed the dad lesson last week. I realized that uh, you may want to re- listen. To yeah. That. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll slide one in. With that, we're gonna slide out of the first half of this interview, and move on to some bourbon tasting. And we're back. As promised, we are back with the bourbon tasting. What seemed to you guys as uh, seconds was actually uh, hours for us. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I'm going to let uh, Rob do the read-off here because this was the bottle he selected. Oh, yeah. And that this should be great. I'm glad he, he mentioned I selected this bottle. So Specifically for the name. <laughs> so... What we chose tonight was George Dickel, Tennessee Whiskey, <laughs> Barrel Select, Charcoal Mellowed, and Double Distilled by George A. Dickel and Company at Cascade Hollow. It is 86 proof, 43% alcohol by volume in Tallahoma, Tennessee. Let me see what else is on. This is a chilled filtered small batch, handcrafted, smooth sipping. We'll get to that smooth sipping in a second. On the back, it says barrel select. Each year, we carefully select or carefully sample the whiskey stock aging in white oak barrels at our Cascade Hollow Distillery. From the labor of love, a limited number of barrels that are matured to perfection are selected, ensuring the uniquely smooth and mellow flavor that made us famous. Barrel select whiskey is a truly rare offering, and is the finest small batch Tennessee whiskey money can buy. Finest, huh? Finest. That mm. is a big claim. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the but the bottle's kind of cute. It's small. He uh, just said cute. It's cute. It's it's nothing like. <laughs> there's a barrel on it. See, it's nothing fancy. Before I took off the the plastic, there was like a George Dickel's face was here. So I went on the website and. Uh, looked up George Dickel Barrel Select. Uh, under On the website, it says, one of our finest whiskeys for the truly discerning whiskey drinker, aged at least nine years and hand-selected by our distiller for their ex- exceptional balance and delicacy, charcoal mellowing, and our unique aging process form a smooth premium whiskey that stands in a class all by itself. That it surely yes, does. Yes, indeed it, it does. It is all in a class by itself. A perfectly balanced, rich, and silky taste with hints of vanilla, spice, and charcoal. Got the charcoal. Oh, Smell yeah. the vanilla. Definitely a little spice. So the mash bill is 84% corn, 8% rye, and 8% malted barley. Um, something interesting that kind of piqued my interest on their specifics on their website. Uh, they have a classification under specifics called char, which on their site says number four barrel and number two head. Sal and I believe that is possibly the warehouse location or the barrels used because typically when you're distilling whiskey and correct me if I'm wrong, Sal, you can only use the barrel once. Yes. That's why I have one sitting in my dining room. Could that be the number two head for charring? 
So they're different heads for charring. Maybe. Like a more direct flame or a wider flame. I just thought of that. Maybe. It's very possible. Oh. You know okay. what you know what I like about this website? What? Go to click on recipes. To tell you how <laughs> look on the two recipes. Look what they look what they show. Dickle highball. No, no. Did you click uh, on recipes? Yeah, I got the recipes. There's a whole bunch of them. I only got two come up. Oh, I got Southern Simpleton. All right, so the, the where I'm clicking, it says Tennessee Old Fashioned. Yeah. And right next to that, it says On the Rocks. Uh, they give you a recipe on how to serve your drink on the rocks. <laughs> Place the ice in the glass. Just in case you don't know how to do it. <laughs> Place the ice in the glass and pour over the <laughs> rocks and serve. It doesn't even say. It says pour over ice and serve in rocks glass. Yeah. That's very funny. <laughs> I hope that's a joke. I, I would hope so. It's on their but website, though. I think the ice brings out that charcoal taste. So just for me, I just want to make sure we got all the notes here I went through. So the alcohol, alcohol classification is Tennessee Whiskey Distillery. Like I stated before, is George A. Dickel and Company. Uh, the age is nine years. Color is honey. I didn't see any awards for this. The price point is between 40 to $55-$60. The nose and aroma is actually, it smells, kind of has a sweetish smell to it and almost deceiving to a point because only after I tasted it did I smell the charcoal or um, for the scotch drinkers, more of a peaty taste that's uh, prevalent in scotch. No burn. I I didn't have a burn. I think that's because the charcoal overwhelmed me, or I assume it's the charcoal. It, it, I'm going to say it's a peaty because it, it does remind me a lot of scotch. Um, and I'll go to Sal and let him give his uh, review, and then I'll come back and, and give my ranking. So just so we started off with tasting this neat, but we had to drop an ice cube. In, I mean, I tell you, the, the smallest ice cube for me, it changed the flavor. It did. It did change the flavor. So nose and aroma, I get oak. I get the charcoal oak smell. Um, and, and there's a sweet smell to it as well. Tasting, uh, I, I taste a lot of the, I mean, what they call uh, charred. I, I get a lot of, uh, for scotch drinkers, the peatiness. The first thing I, I said to Rob was it almost tastes like a scotch uh, on the first sip. So that's that's what I get is that is that that oh peaty charcoal flavor, um, mellow finish as they say. Uh, overall, I mean it's 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 okay. It's not going to be my go-to bottle. Uh, quite disappointing with the uh, definitely disappointing scotch scotch undertones. Yep. So I, I'm going to give this a three barrel wow yes three barrel that is that's three barrel Mm, i honestly this is the most disappointing bottle i've ever bought i feel like so me me and sal have been talking about how to improve our our barrel rating and just what consists of the barrel rating and i think part of it is price part of its taste and part of its aroma i think that's the three um breakdown you would have in in the 10 barrel rating i think this is overpriced to, to my mind, I think the taste just isn't there. If you like a scotch, this is great for you. 
if if you're a scotch drinker, I, I think it would it would be okay. And I'm gonna re- I'm gonna say if you're a scotch drinker and want to dabble into bourbons, I mean they're calling this a bourbon, and you want to try a bourbon, a bourbon, I would go with the George Dickel uh, Tennessee Whiskey Barrel Select. You might be right up your alley. That is true. I just don't. It's not there for me. I you'd say I paid forty five dollars for it, and I bought two bottles. <laughs> not one. Not one. Two. two. I am gonna give this a one barrel. <laughs> I Whoa. really cannot even. It's wow. I'm actually going to pour it out and go find something else in my cabinet <laughs> to drink. There was only one bottle I've ever a glass. I've, I had to force my the first glass. I had to force myself to. Second glass, I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. I couldn't do it. I dumped it. That, I, I've never ever ever dumped a glass of bourbon. This was the this was the, the bottle. Do we have to t- do that on a tasting or at some point, or you're just not gonna happen? You it? know, it ain't gonna happen. That that'll get a negative five. So <laughs> so what bottle is it? I, I gave it to you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> St- Stag Junior. That was bad. That was oh my. I don't know if it was the batch. Uh, look, everybody's palate is different, but I just could not tolerate Stag Junior. It just had this funky flavor to it it was too it was too rough i i i can't even explain the taste that's how bad it was this is this just isn't for me this is it's not sweet i I like sweet bourbons it's it's peaty i don't like scotches there's only a couple scotches i do enjoy but they're typically the mild scotch so i silver seal silver seal yep and monkey shoulder those are like go-tos and and my friends know it and we typically will drink that um, I didn't even know monkey shoulder when the first time I had it was a scotch. That's the funniest thing about it. So I think from our perspective, we're done with the dickle. Uh, done I'm with the dickle. You know, the funny thing is two years ago at my last, when we got together for my birthday, we had a bottle of dickle, but it wasn't, it this wasn't one. this one. And, and it, it was, tasted a lot better. it was amazing. Yes. So I agree. I don't like this. I honestly, I, I hope I can bring back the other. So Rob liked the dickle last year. Yeah, I like the dickle last year. Not not the dickle this year. <laughs> this must be the 2020. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to tune into our next episode. If you like what you heard, share with someone you like or maybe dislike. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, iTunes, Podbeam, Google Cast, Pandora, YouTube, your sister's ass. And Spotify. Be sure to smash that subscribe and follow button too. If you have any questions or comments or want to give us some feedback, you can hit us up at the Rad Dad Show at gmail.com.